0: Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Frog Snacks podcast. Frog and Snacks here, episode thirty-six. Uh, got a couple of things we want to run through. Um, anything you want to? Any banter before we start?
1: <laughs> Not this time. This no? has been a pretty um, regular week.
0: No banter. I well no. well, it hasn't been a regular week for video game reasons. Um, True. Zero lost. Ah, uh, yes, I did hear about I, that. I did want to. I did want to just just mention that in case anybody knows or cares. The, uh, the, like, undisputed,
1: like... The god of Smash 4.
0: The god of Smash 4. Like, the only, like, the one and only god. Like, the one true god of Smash 4.
1: Uh, yeah, Sm- who, Smash 4 is a monotheistic world religion.
0: Yeah, it really is. It's, it's... It's amazing because this man, uh Zero, um, who is uh somewhat new to the smash scene new new enough where he really didn't wasn't around to make a name for himself in the melee scene but was big into brawl but smash 4 uh he has just completely dominated the competitive scene for it. uh so much so that uh, people were putting uh, bounties on matches uh, against him, uh, offering payouts to anybody who could beat him in a tournament setting. Um, it, it was really ridiculous. It got wild. It got so wild. Um, I think that he won every, like, every major tournament since the game has been released. Uh, his total tournament count is 53. 53. So, uh, fit, that's 53 uh, major tournaments since Smash. That's, that's – uh, that's average one major tournament a week since Smash has been out.
1: That's outrageous. Which yeah, because the game has not quite been out a year yet.
0: It's right. So we're talk- maybe maybe like a little over one major tournament a week since Smash Four has been out. Not to mention a bunch of brawl tournaments. And uh, this is you know there there are a lot of name brands when it comes to when it comes to Smash, but. Uh, they're all melee guys. This is the only guy who's really there, who's really like the household name of any non-melee smash. Right. And he just lost his first tournament. I was just like, oh my god, finally, like we can move on with our lives. You know. Because <laughs> that was that was a that was a that was a thing that was brought up when we were when we were doing the little interview episode with Prague, was he was saying, you know, um, there are always people sneaking into the top tiers in melee, but this one kid has never lost a Smash Four tournament. Right. Um, that all of that changed. I mean he he he's been he's been he's been easily the most followed esports personality uh, of the past year. I, I mean I've never learned any more about a, a single individual. Uh, right. More than zero. I mean, we learned about his backstory. We learned about how he, you know, fought back from getting bumped into the loser's bracket in a in a tournament recently to win it and how, you know, he was dealing with some personal things and was just like, it, it, it was, he's like a Kennedy. He's like, he's like the JFK of smash. Like he's, he's more than just a liaison. Like he's the president, like he's everywhere. Yeah, it was not that I fought that deeply, but yeah, he, he
1: definitely made a very, very big name for himself out of this. And not to get too into the weeds on this, but um what that's one of the things that kinda of makes in particular uh the fighting game world, but definitely esports in general, what makes it exciting, the idea that you don't have to be, you know, part of the old guard as it as it would be called to be that top player in a tournament. I mean, literally. Again, particularly at something like an Evo, where any any random schmuck can come there, yeah. and who knows who's been stealthily sniping kids off in the background, nobody knows, and then they come to Evo and destroy everybody. And it happens all the time. Oh,
0: all the time. And, and, I mean, I already forgot the name of the guy who beat, you know, who beat Zero. But this is not going to be the last we're going to hear of him. Most likely, but, exactly. but, um, you know, he, he's, he was a good sport about it. And, uh, you know, the smash four community can, can, you know, can exhale. Uh, it's, but if you get a chance, watch the, the last match between them and, uh, like the announcers are great. They're, they go, they go, uh, appropriately apeshit. Um, right so does, so does the crowd. So it was, it was a cool thing to witness. Um, you know, it's, it's on the internet, yeah, like everything else is. So just, uh, take a look at it. It was pretty cool. Um, but yeah, that was, that was, that was just one quick thing I wanted to talk about before we jumped into it. Um, we wanted to, uh, we wanted to talk about, uh, a very specific game that came out this year and then, you know, the, the broader implications of this game and what it, what it really means for a lot of different things. Uh, the game in question is, uh, called Downwell. Uh, a lot of people, um, have, may not have heard of it. It's a, um, it's just on steam, but it's also on iOS. Uh, the man who made it is a Japanese man by the name of Ojiro Fumoto, um, who is 23 years old. Oh, I didn't know he was that young. Yep, he's 23, according to this article on Polygon. And uh, it's been in beta for a little bit, but it's out now. It's very reminiscent of um, Spelunky, which came out late last year, I believe. Um,
1: it's, and if I'm not mistaken, the composer for Spelunky actually did the music for this game.
0: There you go. Um... Yeah, this is uh yeah, in an article it says this is Ojiro's first major game release and he's 23, he's only 23. So yeah. So Man. so the, the the game is the game is essentially uh uh like a a retro black and white color schemed game in which you are falling down a well uh attacking enemies trying not to hit things as you're moving very fast and, you know, very few safe areas, uh, very fast paced. There's a, there's a million videos and gifs of it online. And now that it's, uh, out of beta and actually out there, I'm sure there's people streaming it on Twitch. Um, but Frog wanted to talk about the game cause he's actually played it. I have only read about it and watched it. <clears throat> and you want to talk about, uh, I mean, I'll, I'll hand it off to you. There were a bunch of things you wanted to mention about it.
1: Yeah, well, first of all, you left out the the most crucial wrinkle in that description of what the game is. I'm so sorry. You are falling down a well, attacking enemies as you go. But what are you attacking with? You are attacking with your gun boots. Right. Yes, your gun boots. And (laughs) it's such an insane concept. And the only reason that uh, Mr. Pomoto could not complete can uh claim total originality of to the concept of having guns on your boots is because Bayonetta and that, that shit craziness was technically there first. But nothing of this kind has ever been really put out there. And I have to say, why I wanted to bring this game up and what I really want to talk about today in general is this is like a Class A example of the kind of idea that is... That only seems to come from Japanese developers. Right. It really does. And when you play it down well, it is very fast paced, pretty damn difficult too, I might add. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it has all the hallmarks of classic Japanese games, outside of, as I said, the batshit insanity concept. You know, great music, very, very tight and responsive controls. You're using these gun boots. But it's interesting because you actually kind of feel like you get the same. How do I put this? I guess the same kind of tactile response that you get when you actually are using a gun in, let's say, any other shooting game. Because you can get different kinds of guns for the boots. So you start off with kind of like a a pistol, essentially. But as you fall, you can reach these little ledges, which will stop the gameplay for a little bit. And then you can go and pick up power ups which will give you, let's say, machine gun boots, or give you shotgun boots, or things like that. And they all feel very different, very tight, very responsive. Uh, Another great thing that it has is just these... (laughs) One of my favorite things in Japanese gaming is the whole idea of games that look really, really cute and very cuddly and friendly, but they're actually murderous degrees of... murderous. explorations of sadomasochism.
0: Right, and that's that's a very... And we've talked about this a lot, but that is a very Japanese hallmark of video games. Very. Where uh, they'll they'll even go as far as to make the first few levels easy where, you know, you're just playing this cute game and the first few levels are kind of easy and you're like, well, this is just for children. And then all of a sudden, you're totally sucked in and you can't make it past the fourth world and you're just like so angry, and the game is just smiling on, bubbling at you. It'll be like a
1: cute rabbit going across the screen.
0: And you're like, (laughs) and you're so frustrated in the fact that the game is like, not acknowledging that it's actually evil. And it's just like, (laughs) you just want to throw, I mean, these are the games where the controller gets thrown at the TV.
1: Yeah, my favorite has to be Mega Man for that. Because Mega Man is loaded with these seemingly innocuous things. That are just designed to, to kill you as often and as quickly as possible. Yep. My all time favorite is in I believe this is in nine. It's either nine or ten. Where your fight is nine because it's the, the freaking bee boss. So the whole level's a garden. Mm-hmm. So there are two enemies that deserve call outs in this. Uh the first being the flower pots, which are nice and new, happy and dance. Uh except their missiles. Yeah. That follow you all around the screen. Dastardly. And my all-time favorite are the gardening shears. Which, one half, they split them in half. And each half flies in the screen at you. Of course, perfectly home to you. Then they come together on your person and split off again. It is the simplest thing in the entire world. But every time it comes up, you're going to be over a pit. Or you're about to get hit by the flower pot missile. Or some other craziness, so you're gonna get nailed and it's so frustrating, and the game's like <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, and like the the game just the game just continues like business as usual as if you are some gnat to be swatted down and and like you're you're just like i it's it's
1: that part is specific to Mega Man, though to be fair the idea that as soon as you die they they just let the screen linger just yeah. to remind you that you <laughs> ain't shit.
0: Right. And it's almost <laughs> like the game didn't notice you. Like you're just like you're just there to be hit.
1: And also specifically in nine is my favorite instance of that where you're the infamous elephant. For those who haven't played Mega Man nine, there is a level in there where you have to where you meet this nice elephant who has a <laughs> vacuum for a trunk. And he's using this to play with the ball. So he uses his trunk, fling the ball away, and then he uses his vacuum to suck it back toward him. You, as Mega Man, have to time your movement around this ball so you don't get hit. Elephant is just playing with the ball. Mm -hmm. But because the timing is very tricky, you're probably going to die many times just getting past this very simple concept. And as soon as you do, they let the screen linger on the elephant just playing with the ball. Oh, I guess somebody died. <laughs> <laughs> it's the greatest.
0: Like, Did somebody just run through this room? I didn't notice anybody.
1: Yeah, I didn't notice anything. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In so, Downwell, yeah. uh, you face just random creatures that you'd find in a cave. But there's some weird ones. But for the most part, actually, the most dastardly one I've come across is the frog. Mm -hmm. because the frog has the most diesel jump, so when you think you're out of the way, it's going to land on you, and you only have four hit points. You can only get hit four times before you die, and once you die, that's it. Period. You could have gone 60 levels, you are going back to level one. That's it. Yep. So, (laughs) needless to say, any of these enemies that do these annoying little things is uh, extremely frustrating, but Another classic hallmark, I think, of any well-designed game, but particularly of Japanese ones, is that even as all this nonsense goes on, and you know you're getting nailed by all these different things, and you die all the time. I haven't, I've yet, in like, I, I didn't play for too, too long yet because it just came out, but um, over let's say an hour or so of play, I, I only made it to three, level three, but I didn't want to stop playing. Yeah. I just like keep going, keep going, keep going, keep going. Uh, the one thing it does kind of throw you a bone is that, uh, A, as you finish levels, every time you finish a level, they offer you one of three upgrades, which are randomly selected for the most part. Some are pretty useless, but some will do legitimate things like, um, for example, turning the bullet casings that will fly out as you shoot into items that will damage enemies, which is very useful. Uh, it'll throw you that bone. Also, as you finish, every time you die, it awards you a certain amount of XP, which is used for a lot of cosmetic unlocks and such like that. You can change the whole palette of the game. So by default, all the footage you'll see is the default palette where everything is black and red, but you can change that to, uh, black and white, excuse me, and red. Uh, but you can change that to a blue palette or things like that. There's a Game Boy one as, as well, for that matter. Really cool stuff so i'm playing i'm playing this game down well and enjoying it, and it just really leads me to start thinking again about how important I think the Japanese voice is in gaming, because like we just laid out, this is the viewpoint that they bring to the table is completely unique uh to that style, but nobody in the West comes up with things like this. Right Which is not to say that we don't have an uh, our own number of nutty concepts that come out of the West, but nobody anytime I see like a really really crazy unique concept, good chance it came from Japan right very good chance it came from
0: japan and what and when you say when you say the Japanese voice, do you mean do you mean they're
1: just like a game design voice
0: right, but I mean w- when you're when you say voice, do you mean they're uh, they're just general creativity when it comes to you know g- you know computing concepts, or they're uh, they're just like more open attitude towards gaming and like w- what they think could, is acceptable to include in in games and video gaming?
1: I think those two are very tightly related because when you have a mindset of Why don't we try this? Then, you know, and and then you have the ability to execute, which is crucial. You know, you you have a a double threat, which is what leads to games like Downwell, you know? Right. Uh, Which is, and that's partly why I'm really excited about the idea that there's still a burgeoning Japanese indie game development scene. It's very tough because the cultural standard over there is, you know, if you're not in a company... It's not as quite as entrepreneurial as the West is. You know, right. there's a lot of getting a good company, da 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 da. da yeah,
0: you get it you get a job in a company making video games and you follow these companies' rules until you're a hundred years old and then maybe they'll listen to you. <laughs> Basically. Yeah.
1: So so that started to change because, you know, economic conditions are such and the game industry itself has changed in such a way that it is kind of prodding you know, the, the the folks who are brave enough to kind of buck those uh, influences and external pressures to be like, all right, well, I am going to do this and I'm going to make a go of it on my own and see how it goes. And all the more justified now that you see all these top creators who now have struck out on their own and are pretty much all doing very well. Mm-hmm. So I'm expecting to see a lot more stuff like this and that excites me to no end. Because,
0: yeah, yeah, because I mean, uh, with the with the new freedom in the indie market in Japan, and then also like just his like historically the creativity that comes out in the game market. There's, there are going there are more games like Downroll on the horizon.
1: Absolutely, uh, absolutely. Another thing I was going to bring up is, for example, stuff like Animal Crossing. Yeah, which I've also been playing a little bit more recently.
0: Right, uh, what, Happy Home Designer.
1: No. Uh, new i whole
0: designer I was like, whatever I don't care okay but, <laughs> okay but, but
1: new in particular the, with their newest game, this is another thing that I think Nintendo in particular, but Japanese game designers in general are very, very good at, mm-hmm. which is having these like th- these games that don't sound like they would work at all on paper, but then completely work out. And subtly introduced its own sort of depth to them. Mm-hmm. So the reason Animal Crossing has kind of taken over the world. Yeah. Even more than I expected. Quick side note. When um when New Leaf was getting ready to come out, I was like, okay, cool, this will probably be interesting. Um, you know, I'm sure I'll have it to a fan base or whatever. And I go on some of the websites, you know, some of the forums, mm-hmm. the thirst was real.
0: Oh yeah, the the reach the reach is uh broad. Um you know who plays you know who plays uh Animal Crossing like pretty religiously? Um Cat Dennings. The uh she's an actress. She's been in a lot of stuff, but she's in that show New Girl. Okay. Anyway, I know you don't watch TV or movies or anything, <laughs> but
1: She's fairly,
0: she's fairly, she's fairly well known. I follow her on on Instagram because she's a babe, but she always posts (laughs) pictures of like her house in like Animal Crossing. And I feel like, I don't know, like she's, she's like,
1: she's like, she's
0: like completely like unabashed and uh, about her love for Animal Crossing. She's like, Oh, my new show's coming out. Also check out my Animal Crossing house. Isn't it It, cute?
1: It's wild. Yeah. It's wild because... I did not, and he, again, this is now. I'm uh, that was a general, uh, you know, a general person, right? I'm talking now like the hardcore, super hypercritical gamer audience mm-hmm. on Neogaf. Is I'm just going at the thread of thread of basically, you know, when the hype is real, when it just devolves to screaming noises written out, <laughs> and that's basically what you just saw. It's just like, ah, <laughs> oh my god, I can't wait! It, it was just crazy. Yeah justifiably so because new leaf is a very awesome game but Mm -hmm. in general uh i think what makes it so great is that on paper you hear oh animal crossing what do you do in that game oh well you go fishing and you can go talk to these random animals and they'll make you run errands yeah and you can like dig up fossils and, and shit like that and you're like what like who on earth would ever make much less play that yeah, and then you play it, and for one thing, it's extremely relaxing because the, outside of the fact that you know you have the uh, outside of the fact you have the mafioso Tom Nook, like give me my money. Yeah, outside of him, you do everything at your own pace, uh, and there's the great relaxing soundtrack playing the entire time, which changes every hour. You want to know real Animal Crossing guys? People got to the point. There's a Chrome extension. There's a Google Chrome extension. Oh shit! That will play Animal Crossing music and change it every hour, like in the game.
0: So, so you you are just like actually living in Animal Crossing. Well, exactly. Was, yeah. See, I th- and that's another that's another hallmark of of Japanese gaming is it, coming out with games where the the bulk of the gameplay sort of just boils down to like, uh busy work like just just like living in a town and just doing things that normal people in a town might do but in a video game and it's it's weird like in the in the west nobody would come out with a game that just just like so blatantly mirrors real life but in like a fantastical setting and in japan it happens all the time and those games are perfectly popular here
1: yeah because the key is that like the Animal Crossing design is masterpiece level. It really is. The design yeah. is a masterwork because as you play the game, there's a lot going. There's a lot going on in Animal Crossing. Yeah. But it reveals itself to you over time and very slowly. So you start to. Good example. Every town is has a random choice of what fruit will be native to the town. Yeah. My town is apples. Yep. If you visit other people's towns, you they of course have a different one. So if I visit your town and the, the native fruit is oranges, I can pick oranges in your town, come back to my town, and when you visit the shop, uh in older games, the shop was run by Tom Duck. But in this game, there's a there's a second shop called Retail, T-A-I-L, mm-hmm. run by this horse chick. <laughs> and <laughs> when you go to her, she's like, Oh wow, oranges. I want to give you an amazing price for these. So now you have people like, oh, shit, I need to go find as many people as possible so I can go get my oranges up or bananas or what have you. And I'm going to cake out. Not to mention, by the way, that you can also take the orange from your town, plant it in your town. Now you have an orange tree. Now you can cake up. Though I believe if you plant too many orange trees, then they become considered native and you don't get as much money for them.
0: Right. So you get the, you get, you get more money based off of like, you have to, you have to like control agriculture in your town to like control the economy also.
1: Exactly. Yeah. You know, there's also a mini stock market.
0: We need to have an episode about like in-game economics because there are some that are uh, like so in-depth and mirror- real life so closely uh you know albeit unintentionally that it's astounding
1: yeah for example like eve online but that's a whole other can of worms
0: yeah that's why that's why i think we should relegate it to another episode but yeah that's 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 amazing and like yeah animal crossing does it too animal crossing is is in that
1: same this one is a much but it's so elegant because what you can do is every sunday you can go and buy turnips Mm mm-hmm and the price of that the turnips are worth when you sell them back changes every day. I forgot based on what factor, but they change every day, yep, so it's just like playing the stock market. Mm-hmm. you take the turnips at whatever price and you hope to sell at a profit. The catch being that the turnips will spoil by the end of the week, so you have to get rid of
0: them, yeah yeah there's um man there's yeah that's. That's something crazy, I'm right? trying to, Yeah, that is crazy. And I'm trying to I'm trying to think, man, there was a game there was a game that was similar to that and I'm never going to remember the name of, but I played it and it was just like the same thing. Like you needed to um like you needed to go just do things. And I was like, "Why am I so in love with this game?" <laughs> like nothing's happening in this game. I'm just do I'm just Living Room Factory. It was Room Factory Four.
1: I had a feeling I, we were going to talk about Room Factory.
0: I fucking love Room Factory, and literally nothing happens in that. Game. Like you, you just get thrown in this town. There's like a dragon, I think, mm-hmm. and and he's like, uh and he's like, go oh, farm. Uh go farm, yeah, farm, farm for me. And I'm like, oh, okay. And I, I, I probably did like. I probably poured thirty hours into the game before I realized that nothing else was about to happen, but those thirty hours flew by, flew oh I, I was on the i was on this i was i remember like the day after I stopped playing the game like told myself like okay i, I need to do i need to do something that's going to like amount to something right uh, i need to I need to do something with my life this is atrocious. I'm on this. I'm on the subway, and this like forty year old man is playing Rune Factory Four on his 3DS, like right next to me. And I'm watching him play Rune Factory Four, and this dude is just farming. This dude is just uh, fishing. And I'm like, and I'm like, dude, uh, do you have a family? Like, do something else, please. You're, you're just, you're just gonna want to go back tomorrow and see if you're, you know. Plants are there. See if you—it's time to harvest yet. But they're—they're they're so enveloping, and they are. That's a, how? How? Because it, it's—it really is a uniquely Japanese concept, and there are no games like that that come out. Of, like the only thing—I—I I don't even know if I want to call like. No, I—I I can't even call. I can't even call a game. I'm trying to I'm trying to think of like games where like where like there's there's like a living, breathing economy in the game right? Uh, that you just sort of, that, that's like time-based off of, off of real time, not game time. And I can't think of any Western games that have this.
1: Neither can I. And, and certain, I mean, we have farming things in the West, but even those are more Sim style. Right, right. Where it's supposed to be like, here's how the modern agriculture industry works. This mm-hmm. is like a stripped down, but at the same time, Very, as you said, enveloping and deep take on, it's like a a very naturalistic approach to having things like agriculture in your game. Yeah. And fishing. Like in in Animal Crossing, fishing is like one of the most popular things to do because there's a crap load of fish that you can get, which by the way is also seasonal too. Yeah. So you have to play the game in every season if you want to collect all the fish that they're in the game.
0: Right. and. That's, that's a common theme also. Uh, even, um, well, I, I can't remember which, which one it was. It must've been, it must've been, uh, either the second or third generation of the Pokemon games where, I mean, it's, you can't really compare, uh, you know, Pokemon and animal crossing, but they, they, they incorporated a real time clock into the game where there would be, you know, a nighttime and a daytime. And you could, you know, and then it, they they even went so far in, like, uh, Gen 5, I think, where uh, that that deer Pokemon had four, uh, like, seasons. Like, and it would look different depending on what season you were...
1: Oh, wow, that's not, that I didn't even know about that. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. And it's like, um, I gotta, uh, now I gotta look it up because I don't know the name and it's gonna bug me. But... Uh, they they corresponded seasons to about a m- month of real time. So, uh, you know, when the game came out, it was like September. And then for all of September, it was the fall. And then for all of October, it was the winter. And there were different weather patterns and there were different... Uh, and then for this, you know, I think it was like Deerling? Yeah, Deerling. Yeah, so Deerling is the Pokemon. It's Generation 5. It evolves into sawsbuck. At level 34. It's normal and grass type. Uh, Changes its appearance depending on the current season. Um, It does not occur after capture. So you don't – it doesn't just look different once you have it. Like you have to catch the spring, summer, fall, and winter versions of it and then it stays in that form forever once you have it.
1: That's awesome.
0: Yeah. And it's obviously adorable. Um, well, of course. You know, but like the so so even Pokemon incorporated this thing, and uh, again, like there's not really a lot of Western developers that that incorporated any sort of you know real time cycle outside of the game world into the game,
1: which is interesting considering how much that Western developers uh, we just we just spoke a couple of weeks ago about the crazy expanding scope and involvement of western games so it's kind of interesting that nobody has really done a convincing real-time um a real-time game system you know in, in any of these gigantic triple a games yet because I, I you would think that's a kind of a natural extension right something like fallout it would kill
0: yeah and even even with like uh even with like a lot of a lot of like free to play mobile games, they have this in, incorporation where you can like pay for the real time to go faster in the game, so, you know, to to make things happen faster, right? Right. Um, and they did, they did that a little bit in Metal Gear Solid Five uh, with with the with that system becoming more commonplace. You would think that it could be incorporated into AAA titles more so, especially with like the online versions, maybe. Uh, or like the online uh, game modes of these games, right. uh, so you know, maybe may maybe this could be a thing. But for now, it's it's almost invisible in Western games. I, I yeah, can't it, I can't it, it's think very of strange a, to me. I cannot think of a. Um, okay, uh, World of Warcraft. Is
1: the well, only, that's an MMO. You'd kind of expect an MMO to have that kind
0: of thing. Is the only is the only game I can think of, like, off the top of my head, that corresponds in-game stuff to an out-of-game real-time clock. And even then, it's just, like, it's constantly being patched. It's constantly being updated. Like, they did server maintenance every Tuesday in that game, at least back when I played it. And, you know, when it was, like, uh, mid-October, like, they, you know, you, they would do the Tuesday maintenance and... You would log in after they were done, and there would be pumpkins everywhere and stuff. And it's just like okay, but somebody put that <laughs> in manually. This right. wasn't this wasn't written into the game, at least as far as I knew.
1: Right. Which is that's a nice thing. That's kind of an online community type thing, which yeah. is different. Um, but still very welcome. I always like that kind of thing.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: but yeah, and, and as far as like talking about primarily these single player games, like I brought up Fallout earlier. Uh, we really haven't seen that kind of. Real time element, been put as like a foundational part of the gameplay. I guess I guess the fear is that you know there'll be too many people who only see it at night or whatever. But who cares? Do it. It'll be really cool. Uh, another thing I was gonna bring up is some of these very Japanese centric genres. Uh, my favorite of which being the shmup. The. For Those who are not aware of that,
0: myself uh, included, what are you talking about?
1: Oh, shmup, uh, which is short, which is kind of a, a little bit of a shortening of a shoot 'em up. Oh, which comes in many different forms, from the side-scrolling games like Metal Slug, uh, to all the various, my favorite, all the various top-down shmups. Now, I think most people probably have played at least one at some point. But these games are notoriously difficult. And, but at the same time, again, they're just so well done that you have to keep, even though you get completely destroyed immediately, you have to keep playing. So for those people that may never have seen a top-down shmup, what will often happen is that usually you'll be, as I said, you'll be looking from the top down. So you'll be looking at a ship from its top and you get to move it all around the screen. And you're going to have to kill everything in your path <laughs> by using all sorts of different bullet styles and whatever. The catch will be that the enemies in these top-down scrolling shmups are usually extremely powerful and have no uh, no problem filling the entire screen with bullets. Hence the term "bullet hell."
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, A I've heard A bullet hell of
1: shooter. It it literally, you will see the, some giant boss will pop up on screen, like laugh at you and literally fill the screen with bullets, which, yeah, 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 uh, some some of these games look more like an art project than like an actual playable thing.
0: Yeah, there was a good, there was a good one. I think it was a PS3 and Vita called uh, Luftrausers.
1: Luftrausers was good. That's sort of like it, but that's not quite a bullet hell. Like bullet hell are a thing, I'm trying to think of a really good one. And I forgot, the developer cave, pretty much anything that cave makes is a crazy bullet hell experience that is designed to kill you and have you throw, well, most of them are arcade, but if you get the console port, your controllers will be thrown. <laughs> <laughs> Lives will be ended. Yeah. Possibly your own. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> because the really hardcore ones, go as far as to show you your hitbox. Because there are going to be so many bullets on screen that it wouldn't be fair not to show you what exactly your hitbox is. Yeah. And your hitbox will be like a dot on the ship. So anywhere else you can get hit, but if you get hit in that dot, that's it. (laughs) It, It's... That's just crazy. Only Japan. But if you play it, T- at least, uh, to me anyway, and I have yet to see anybody who has like sat down, gotten anywhere in a shmup and not been hooked to some degree.
0: Yeah, even even you know even though you wouldn't, even though you're a you know uh, hesitant to add Luftwanzers to that to this genre, I I you know also similarly hooked. Right. But there's no. Again, there's no story. It's it, you you're you're just thrown into this uh, you know, this level. Yeah. And you just you just do it. And you, the the whole point of the replayability is to uh unlock more things, but also to just do better than you did the last time. Right. And that's like uh, you become you become possessed by this by this concept. And do you think that this speaks to not not the, not the Japanese developer, but the how how the how Japan sees the average player base and how the West sees its own player base?
1: So, are you saying that I suppose Japan sees its player base as how do we put this more? Probably sees the player base as more receptive to these. Uh, I guess maybe I don't. I don't want to use the word meteor concepts, but these concepts are a little more esoteric.
0: I was gonna say like uh, maybe a little bit more singularly focused, right? Um, you know, like you, you can you can give a task, and although it may seem mundane, uh, there there is a way to perfect it there is a way to do it the best and right
1: and, i think i think that it, it's it kind of really just goes back to what you said earlier which is the idea that folks will come out with these concepts that are really crazy and even more crazy is that you really have to play most of these games excuse me to understand the appeal
0: yeah but, it's it's really like a they're all like the you had to be there stories of video games
1: like, yeah if it, that's right that's what I think. It is. Japan does the "you had to be there" type of game better than anybody else in the world.
0: Yeah, no, th- there's there's no question there, but it has to stem from somewhere. And, I, and I, my theory is that uh, Japan sees its player base and its just like overall population as being uh, needing like not needing to be uh, impressed visually right off the bat, and can. Can find pleasure in like menial or mundane tasks and doing these tasks uh, better and better each time. Because that's ultimately what games like this boil down to is like, okay, like the concept can be explained to a toddler and they'll understand it. Right. But somebody's going to be better at you than it. Right. Or better than you at it. And. I think or that, you
1: yourself will find that oh wow I can do this a lot better than I did last time.
0: Right, and I, I think I think in the West there's a there's a much larger pressure from uh, the fan base, whether it's imagined or real, that uh, you know the that you need to have like the dopest visuals and like the craziest trailer to get everybody hyped, and like you need to have the you need to have the commercial. Uh, you just got to make it. You have, to be, you have to impress people right off the bat. And then if the game also happens to be great, then, then awesome, fine.
1: Um, right. um I think... Let me, let me talk about the West End to kind of see where I'm going with this. Is that I think for the West, particularly in the last 15 or so years, uh, the, the rise of Western dominance in gaming as a whole is really closely tied to the entrance of PC developers into the console market. Okay. So once you had the PC developers really start firing on all cylinders, that's when things like went to level 10. And the thing with PC developers and I guess really a whole PC culture is that it's a very technology focused culture. Like there's a lot of talk about engines. Oh yeah. You know, oh yeah. You know, and that kind of thing. Even before we get to, well, what do you do in the game? Right, uh, it's, it's like
0: you know, what's the FPS going to be like? What are the what are the you know what are the minimum graphics requirements? Like how much you know how much VRAM am I going to need for this? Like you know who's who's doing the who's doing the art style? Who's working on it?
1: Yeah, yeah, and it, which is not to say that because you know how I feel about graphics horrors. Yeah, and those were absolutely a thing in console gaming for a very long time. Mm-hmm. But I think it was just a certain approach in general with the, the the PC mindset that really made it even a starker contrast today than it was even before. But you could then come back at me to say, "Well, because there are graphics scores in the console market, and that was a thing in the West in particular, this is still that still doesn't quite cover it, right?" Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess you really do have to kind of go back. To, I, I guess this is really just a it, it, just a difference in cultural approach. Where I guess a lot of the developers that cut their teeth early on in Japan were really just like, let's just nail down these concepts. You know, you had a lot of people who were developing from Atari going into NES days where it was like, all right, all you had was the concept, right? Yeah. You know, you weren't going to, you weren't going to bowl anybody over (laughs) on NES with your, your sick graphics and your 360 no scope. So what was the
0: point of playing then?
1: <laughs> yeah, really. What was the point? Well, hence, well, <laughs> funny. We we scoff. The funny part is that people didn't play, at least in the numbers that we see today, right? Yeah. So you know, you had the concept, and you kind of went with it. And I think that kind of mindset never left. The concept first mind. I mean, yeah. this actually leads us very neatly into talking about the elephant in the room of Japanese gaming, Nintendo. Yeah. Part of the reason, anyone who really goes deep into, like, studying how Nintendo works, uh, one of the first things you find is that Nintendo always stresses that they are a gameplay-first company. before, Which is why they're usually r- routinely criticized for lacking in the story department, among other things. Because to them, the game begins and ends with what you do when you put the control in your hand. And honestly, the older I get, the more I agree. Because at the end of the day, no amount of awesome engine work and crazy lighting schemes and and all that other superfluous stuff is going to save a game that has a crappy concept. You know?
0: Yeah, that's true.
1: So I think that they're definitely right in that regard, and they are they are fanatical on that point. That's why they don't do a lot of new IP. Remember, remember like the last couple of years that people were screaming from the hilltops, come on Nintendo, give us a new franchise, something, something. Yeah. And they're like, We'll give you something new when we have a good new concept. Yeah. Period.
0: Splatoon was the first new IP in fourteen years. Yeah. Fourteen. <laughs> 14 that is a that is a gigantic gap i mean yeah i i, I everything you said is true and your defense of nintendo is uh, uh you know correct and acceptable but my rebuttal is uh 14 years is a long fucking time
1: it really is now you're you're right it is it's a long time and it's like come on yeah. so to be part of that is also you get to the business side which is that don't forget a big portion of that 14 years is the week when they were riding high and the crystal was flowing and shit. (laughs)
0: They just had, they just had Moe spraying everywhere for, 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 for like six years straight.
1: Exactly. So when you're riding high like that, you don't spend a lot of money, which is, that's part of the reason why right now in gaming in general is so great for me because there's a lot of underdog stuff going Microsoft an underdog right now. Nintendo is hugely an underdog right now. Right. And even to a certain extent, even Sony has a lot to prove because there's a lot of criticism of what, you know, what they do.
0: Oh, yeah. I got a ton of criticism for Sony.
1: But yeah. As do I. So because of that kind of underdog mentality going on, and especially if you look at, now if you go to like development houses individually, you see it even more, uh, there's not... That the kind of mentality of, oh, we're just going to coast. Nobody can afford to do that right now.
0: No, not even. You can't blink. It's it's too competitive right now.
1: The competition is far too hot. Mm-hmm. Blink for a second and you're dead. So I would say part of the reason we didn't see a new franchise is that they weren't going to go. Remember, the entire point of the week was to be like, OK, we're going to take these. We're going to take what we're good at, these super simple concepts that we can execute better than anybody. Things like We Fit, yep, or and or more crucially, We Sports, because yep. that's what sold the consoles in the first place. Yeah, right. We're going to take these super simple concepts that we can execute on in an amazing way, and do it for like no money, and we're going to put it out there. Why are you going to go spend? It it goes back to two things: to one, what we see with Konami and Kojima. They said to Kojima, "Listen, we can spend like." a million bucks or less and make some shitty-ass mobile game and make a hundred million bucks, but we just had to give you, what, almost a hundred million dollars to get around the same result? Why the hell are we going to do that? Or similarly, the mobile market in in the West in general, same thing. We're going to shit out some little joint for a hundred thousand dollars or less and we're going to make billions why are we going to go make all these fancy games, you know? Uh, so when you have that kind of mentality going on, I don't think there was the same pressure to say, "All right, well, let's come up with a whole new concept for the fan base," you know?
0: Right. So it was it was fourteen years for the diehards, but for uh, Nintendo and for the most every everybody else, it was really only like half that.
1: Yeah, pretty much.
0: Ugh, still though, seven years.
1: Kinda sucky, yeah, but you know, I'm, this is not uh, this. I'm not really defending Nintendo on this. It, that's more of an explanation. I'm like, I get it, but yeah, I would have. Lo- There's still a lot of things I would love out of Nintendo.
0: Listen, it's not like Nintendo just like hid in a corner and counted their money for 14 years. They came out with things that were good. Absolutely, you know. Um, but yeah, that's so so. So yeah, it's concept. It's concept first, and then presentation uh, is is you know. There's there, the developers are given a lot of uh, artistic flexibility when it comes to presentation. In, yes. in Japan.
1: Yes, because, like I said, I think that the Nintendo approach is true of Japanese development in general, yeah. but most notably and fanatically and aggressively at Nintendo.
0: Yeah, because I mean, when we say when we say Western, I mean it's basically any anything um, not made in Japan. Well, I was gonna I was gonna lump I was gonna lump uh, Korea in there too, but you know the f- the few games that are developed in Korea probably have like the same thing. Wait, am I even thinking of Are there even any? I don't. I, m- I might not know what I'm talking about. But yeah, anything that's not Japan, anything that's not the Far East. Because, I mean, we're seeing a lot of games coming out of, um, coming out of Poland now. CD Projekt Red is Polish, you know, this is not the West technically in like the political sense, but it's not Japan and, and they're, they're, it's, it's, it's fair to lump them in with, you know, uh, English, other European and American developers.
1: Yeah. As far as game is concerned, the West is the U S and Europe.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: West is the US, US and Europe, because even though, yes, uh Poland is an Eastern European nation, the development approach is very much the same.
0: Oh yeah. Oh yeah, exactly the same. I mean if you if you handed somebody uh The Witcher 3 and said uh that it was an American game, they would believe it uh wholeheartedly. Even, Absolutely. You know, there's there's no differentiating other than the fact that you know Maybe like I I I didn't I didn't play The Witcher Three, but it, I think they they did something where like uh like Polish is one of the first choices for language that you can pick or something, and then somebody might think that that's weird, but then <laughs> that's it. Like that's like there's literally no hints in the game that would like, you know. Point, yeah, having,
1: point it. having played the game, I can tell you for sure. There's really yeah. very little indication that that this is a Polish-made product, right? But it, it absolutely is. But when you play a Japan anybody who knows gaming and plays a Japanese game, you, you will know it immediately. Yeah. You know what I mean. For for better or for worse. But but you will know immediately.
0: Yeah. And you know, I we're not we're not we're not shitting on Western games. This is not, not at all. you know, we're we're giving a lot of praise to Japanese games for the reason that we love them and offering the explanation. Um but You know, tons of great Western games all the
1: time. I mean, listen, the majority of this year's notable content is Western. That's undeniable.
0: Oh, oh yeah. Oh yeah. Undeniable. Uh, I think, uh, Metal Gear Solid Five. uh, you know, due to, due to the fact that it like transcends both Eastern and Western, um, you know, talking points for what constitutes an excellent game. Right. Uh, it might be the only it might be the only game that is in you know that is in the talks for like best game of two thousand fifteen.
1: Now, real quick aside, I was gonna bring up Metal Gear, but then I thought to myself, honestly, Kojima is really just in a lane entirely by himself.
0: Well, he 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 transcends that bridge. He's you know, I, I think back in the day when he had less tools to work with and he was less well known, uh, you know, he was he was much more decidedly Uh, Eastern, but at the same time, you know, the, the concept of like an American super soldier doing like super cool dope spy shit is like what probably wasn't that popular of a, of like a concept for storyline in, in Japan. Right. You know, this is like a, this was like a, a, like a more toned down, like Duke Nukem Wolfenstein style thing. (laughs) You know what I mean? Uh, back in the, back in the day. But you know the the content was there, and it and it offered it offered the player the opportunity to, and it still does to this day, offers the player the opportunity to um, do it again and do it better and do it over and over and over again until you've felt like you've mastered it.
1: Definitely, and it's, it's the other thing that separates him is that, uh, and this is something that's unique for a person of any nation, which is that. Uh, Kojima is decidedly global in his outlook. Yes. he When he is putting together any of his work, he is drawing from influences both Western and Eastern. Mm-hmm. And like I said, that's something that is unique for a Japanese person, sure, but that's unique for anybody. To really uh, be able to pull in influences from all of the world and integrate into your product. And I think that's what gives the Metal Gear series a lot of its flair. And a lot of its personality. Even though if you think about MGS5, it is classically Japanese in that uh, it is also a very, very concept first game, like way more so than even any of the other Metal Gear Solid titles. Mm-hmm. Because this game, remember, they stripped out a lot of the storyline and, and relegated it to the optional cassette tapes. Yeah. Just to laser focus the player on go. You know,
0: right? Here's and, uh, what you do.
1: Here's I mean, how this game works. Do it. Yeah, and you'll I, figure out the rest of the sandbox later.
0: Yeah, it took. I mean, it was like record time for you to start mission one. in, yeah. in Microsoft Five, I was like, I was like, wait, what? I I had I I put my controller down once the first cutscene started because I was like, well, here we are. I made popcorn. You know, I.
1: <laughs> He's you gonna know, be the first like long ass I got, opening cutscene to set up. I
0: got comfortable. All
1: right,
0: you right. know. Um and, but no, they they were they were like, all right, well, you know, uh here you are in Afghanistan. Uh there's lots to do. Go get 'em. Go get 'em, Tiger. And I was yeah. I was like, oh my God, what? Are you- <laughs> um, speaking of the cassettes the cassettes in uh in uh in, in Metal Gear, have you been listening to the uh the hamburgers one.
1: I I've been saving that one. Okay. I've been saving the hamburger because I saw it. I was like, this is going to be extremely kooky. I'm saving this one for when I'm really completely confused and I need a, a moment of super levity. But it's, I'm sure it's amazing.
0: It's 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 nothing. It's it's great and it's amazing, but it's not. I mean, yeah, just save it until you have all of them and listen to all of them at once because you're going to be like, what what the fuck is going on? All right. It's, it's there's. It's exactly what you think it is, <laughs> except it's, except it's so funny. Like it's, it's just, it's just code talker talking about how he loves hamburgers and how he doesn't think that Miller makes a good hamburger, but it's like way too long and it goes on for way too long and it's just awkward and weird and hysterical and it's the best.
1: The gap, the love metal gear.
0: <laughs> yeah. It's, it, yeah, it's great. Um,
1: but, yeah. We're running out of time. Yeah, so Definitely we the, before we go, I definitely wanted to bring up kind of parling all this talk about Japanese stuff into one of the big fish articles of this week, which was the Wall Street Journal dropping a bomb on everybody, saying that uh they had details on the nX now of course it nobody knows for sure if it's true, but based on what we've the rumblings we've heard and the analysis from people like me and and everybody else out in internet land there's uh, probably a good bit of credence to this. And for those people that may not have heard, essentially, uh, Wall Street Journal is saying that they spoke to people close to the, the NX project and to third-party developers who have gotten a hold of development kits that Nintendo has apparently recently sent out for it, and that the NX is actually going to be a a console device with at least they said at least one mobile unit. Yep. Now, they used to use the word mobile unit, so we don't know what form that's going to take, but it would heavily suggest that the earlier rumors of this being a handheld-slash-console package of some kind, whether the device is one or two actual devices, however it's going to work out, uh, the fact that it, they're merging the platform seems to be increasingly likely. The other thing that's got people uh, buzzing is that uh, the talk is that because Nintendo got shellacked—love that
0: word—because
1: mm-hmm. they got shellacked for underpowering the Wii U, that uh, they're "quote unquote" industry-leading chips inside this device. So you have people that point out that they said the same thing with the Wii when the Wii U was coming up to being the for launching time, which is true. Um, so we really will have to see next year what's going to happen, but, uh, it does increasingly seem to be the case of a few things. One, that the Wii U is going to be sunset. I mean, I think that was fairly obvious either way
0: Mm -hmm. because
1: the system underperformed. It's on a bit of an upswing. The system is clearly underperformed. It was a colossal failure. Uh, so they're definitely going to want to put out the pasture sooner rather than later. Uh, I also, of course, believe that this means that the next Zelda game, I would be stunned at this point if it was not a Twilight Princess style dual release. Yep. Stunned if that that did not occur. But this does mean that I think we may be in for a very interesting, very interesting launch for this thing. If it is indeed going to come out next, you know, November or whatever, uh, then we're going to be in for something really cool, I think, because one, they're going to launch with a Zelda game, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, two, which is by far the more important thing, is that they actually have a realistic chance of getting third-party support that would actually be worth a damn. Because check it out, right now, where we, you can say, yeah, PS4 is going to blow everybody away, which is true. I don't see them taking on Sony in that respect, but they have a chance to actually pull people in because a lot of people still have not upgraded to, um, you know, next gen yet. Oh yeah. There's still a lot of old top hardware out there. Right. And on top of that, there really have not been a lot of like big name third party games yet. There've been a handful But it hasn't been a firing on all cylinders that you would have kind of expected by now. It's been slow. So, Nintendo. remember E3? Half of E3 was like, come back next year.
0: (laughs) Yeah. It really was.
1: So, if they're sending out development kits now for stuff that's supposedly supposed to drop in 2016, realistically, they do have a shot of getting developers to say, all right, well, throw the, the NX port on there as well and we're gonna make it go. So there's still time for them to get in the game. How well it's gonna work, who knows. But the, even more exciting I think is if they go the backward compatible route, which in my mind they have to.
0: Oh uh, yeah, they they have to. They have to. It's it, at at this point it's just like a, uh oh it's it's like a faux pas at this point.
1: And not even so much because you're going to piss people off, but because you have essentially wasted all of your development resources if you don't. Yeah. Because so few people bought the Wii U that for you to not bring that stuff over, especially considering that technologically speaking, none of the Wii U games are at all inferior in any way. Yep. You know, all these games are just as beautiful by today's standards as they were when they came out. In fact, many of them are look better than a lot of the shit that's on the market. Mm-hmm. Like things like a Smash Brothers, you don't need a new Smash Brothers for this console. Bring this one in, have soccer and Code do a bunch of new content or whatever. Call it a day, you're done, and then you can call that you can call that a launch title. Yeah, you know you can bring. Um, nobody's played again. Talking relative numbers, nobody has played this new Smash game. Nobody has played this new Mario Kart game. Nobody's played like Mario 3D World. Definitely nobody played Mario 3D World. Right? Yeah. All these games have chances for second life on this new machine. And that's a big selling point, assuming that you can get assuming you can convince people that this thing is actually going to be supported by third parties. Mm-hmm. The presence of all those dope Wii U games that people miss is a very big selling point.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And the the way that the way that these uh the way that these details are you know, just sort of like trickling out is just like, I mean, it just becomes more and more likely that this thing is like far, like much further in the development process than we think.
1: I think it has to be because again, it's really not, this is not some, this tea leaves a frog, but this is not really that crazy to imagine because if anybody who kind of knows how the game market is at this point, it's pretty easy to kind of see, well, where the track is going. I mean, Nintendo dropped the console. The shit failed. So obviously they're going to have to move to replace it quickly. Uh, The time is ripe for doing so. We got the little bits and pieces that they're going to merge their handheld and their uh, console platform. By the way, I'm super excited for that. Mm -hmm. Because think about this. Even as it is, Nintendo is one of the most prolific developers out there. They put out a shitload of games for both platforms every year. Yeah. Like when you combine the two. Yeah. Now, when you have one platform now that covers both, think of the development might that they now have. It's going to be insane.
0: Yeah the, the the library is the library is nuts. I I mean, I have a I have so many games for the three DS. Oh my yeah. god. And yeah, it's it's it. It really is an impressive library, and you know, holiday 2016 sounds like it's too new, uh, like too close for a, a new system to just appear. Mm-hmm. But uh, I don't, I don't really, I I don't think that they have a choice. I think that's the goal that they need to set for themselves.
1: They have to. But that said, I don't think it's too late because, like I said, a lot of third. Sony has, this is one of the criticisms of Sony, is that they've left a lot of opening. Microsoft is firing on all cylinders trying to make a comeback, Mm -hmm. which is having, you know, mixed results. We'll see better how that's going to pan out over the next, like, five or six months. Mm -hmm. But they're trying to come back seeing that there's not a a whole lot in terms of exclusive or newer interesting content in, in Sony land, which is a great opening for both Microsoft and Nintendo. Because really, all the biggest at this point, all Nintendo has to do is make a machine that is powerful enough to run games made by people that are not Nintendo, and that's it. They're off to the races because everybody wants Nintendo shit because it's bomb, mm-hmm. and if they get the third party stuff that they want, also, that's it. The only problem, other than that, is the fact that a lot of there are a lot of people who have made their. Next gen purchase already, but there are just as many, and I argue definitely more that have not. So,
0: or people who have made it to the next gen and and are still trying to get more of the next gen stuff, right? Which is my case. I have I have the I have the Wii U and I have the Xbox One. I'm I'm just waiting for like the proper PS4 bundle to get. I'm waiting for. You know, uh, it to be bundled with a game that I like, and also want more one terabyte versions to be released.
1: Right. I would bet on Nintendo probably saying, "Go get your own hard drive," which would probably be even more necessary if they're going to be if they're going to be bundling those two pieces of hardware. Mm-hmm. I would bet on them saying, "Yeah, go get your own hard drive. We're not putting that in our structure. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I think there's definitely time for them to make a. I don't see them overtaking Sony by any stretch of the imagination, but there's definitely time for them to get in there and, and make some noise.
0: Oh yeah. They
1: definitely can make some noise in, in this, in this game now. Mm-hmm. If, if And like I said, it's because of how things have changed. It's not like the PS two days where people were like, well, we're going to only be on Sony. So, boo! no, <laughs> <laughs> it's so competitive now. You want to put your game out on as many devices as possible. Yep. So if Nintendo says here's a device that can run it, it's going. People are going to put it on there just because. Yep. So it, it's going to be really interesting. I'm really excited to see what comes of this whole project. Um. But it next year is going to be plenty crazy. I think.
0: It uh. I mean, it, it, it most certainly is. There's already a growing list of things to look forward to in 2016 for you know in the video game world. But yep, yeah, that's. Uh, I don't know. It, it, unless there's anything else you want to add, we're we're pretty much at time now. Uh, there's there's a lot to look out for. There's a there's a burgeoning Japanese indie market, and if you're into the types of games that we just laid out, there's a lot to look forward to. Check out Downwell. Um, and look for uh, similar games of other uh, incomprehensibly young Japanese developers working by themselves and coming out with uh, amazing things
1: also keep your eyes peeled for Cave remember I mentioned Cave earlier they actually are looking to bring a lot of their back catalog to Steam so PC Mm -hmm. gamers keep your eyes peeled that stuff is really good
0: yes it is oh uh, report on Disgaea 5 by the way apparently it's very good
1: Oh, well, this guy's always really good. Yeah. It's the same game every time. Just, (laughs) it is. It's just that they keep adding, they take a game that already has an outrageous number of systems and add more every time. So it just becomes, to play, I feel bad for anybody who is just playing this guy now for the first time, because it is going to be completely and utterly overwhelming. (laughs)
0: Well I got a report from a uh from a long time player that this is uh this is probably the best one so
1: I totally believe it it looks really cool
0: it certainly does well we'll uh we'll see you guys next week later everybody. thanks for sticking around peace